If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swentoski, and I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, we're here for a full podcast dedicated to staying warm. This is head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Because sometimes, Staying warm and functional in the winter is far more important than the tactics themselves. The cold becomes the biggest challenge. So this is episode number three of the Trout Bitten Skills series covering winter fishing. It's about keeping the cold out, the heat in, and fishing hard all day long in even the roughest weather. Or really, this episode is about how to regulate your body heat. Honestly, those are two different concepts, two different things, and maybe we should start with that. But first, let me introduce my good friend, Austin Dando. He's here with me in this skills series of the Trout Bitten Podcast to work through each topic. Uh, we do our best to cover all the important stuff and a little more. Right, Austin? Yeah, just a little more. What else besides the important stuff? Um, we learned about your tennis history, for example, <laughs> in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. What's your tennis history? Um, I told a tennis story, if you recall. Mm. Uh, do you remember I, I told a tennis story on a long uh, time ago? The podcast I talked about getting kicked off the tennis court yeah. on uh, my family beach vacation. Yeah, yeah. And they called us out on the loudspeaker. That's my <laughs> tennis history. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were you were never on a tennis team, like in high school or college? Uh, uh, no. All right, I have a shot then. I could play a mean game of ping pong, though. That's different. Table tennis. Yeah. Table tennis. Anyway, I feel like I have a shot if you uh, were never on a, an official team. <laughs> You're going down. I got we'll cocky again all of a sudden. That's it. I got gotcha. you. Austin, I do have a couple people reaching out to ask about fishing really cold water in the wintertime. And one guy sent me photos of a river that was all but iced over 
with just a small lane in the middle that was still flowing. Now, lots of shelf ice, you know, like mm. clear to the middle. <laughs> We've yep. seen that. And uh, he said we didn't cover this kind of water because we favored spring creeks. And um, I feel like we did cover this situation by saying that if the water temperature is lower than 35 or 36 degrees, mm. our expectations are low. Uh, I also mentioned that if there's slush in the water and a ton of shelf ice, then the water is borderline freezing. Let's acknowledge that. And for me, uh, that's pretty much a waste of time. Doesn't mean I won't fish it, but my expectations are then really low. How about you? Yeah, that's the that's the key right there is the expectations. If you expect to go out there and it to be 80% frozen over and you're okay with that, then that's fine. But if you go out there and you expect it to be mostly clear and that's what you find, you know, then that's not so fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, for folks up north uh, who fish steelhead around here, yeah, that's what they are contending with all the time is, is slushy ice and icebergs and they're fishing through little seams of, of open water. That's yeah. not really my thing. I've fished in my fair share of, like he's describing, open lanes. Yeah. And I don't know, it's more frustration than than mm. it is fun sometimes on those mm. days. Because especially on those days, depending on the humidity of the air, your whole line will go frozen. Even your flies will freeze. Right. Spend half the day like sucking on your tippet section to make it uh, not be a, a chain of ice. Yeah. It's just, it's sometimes too much. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean about expectations too. I'm talking about success. Expect to have success when we go out there. I mean, you're going fishing not because you think you won't catch fish because it's because (laughs) you think you will. Um, So my expectations are very low when I have the kind of water we're talking about. And like you said, I mean, I've had days where there there were ice balls forming around my flies. To me, that's impossible. You're no longer presenting a fly. You're presenting like a ball of ice. Yes. You're not fishing anymore. And you talk about steelhead north of here, you know, Lake Erie tributaries in our state. Mm -hmm. I don't even know any, you know, dedicated steelhead fishermen that expect to have any real good success in that kind of water. They're looking for, you know, when it opens up a little bit. Yeah. And I think that, again, is the key for anyone who's diehard has to know, um, you know, what they're walking into and know how to fish around those conditions too. Yeah. But I don't know, for some of them, I feel like it is unavoidable. And if you want to get into mm-hmm. it, you kind of just have to deal with it. But yeah. we don't often find the same conditions, which is fair. As mentioned, you know, we, we do deal with a lot of spring-influenced creeks. So, yeah, you know, we're just fortunate to have it around. Yeah, spring water and, like we said, tailwaters. If yeah. you can fish that in the winter, that's your best bet. So I'll mention this again. None of these podcasts stand alone. And I always include a companion article with links to many resources and a lot of information that's available on Troutbitten. Um, There are also links included in the show notes for this podcast. I take time to put all that stuff in there, right? But people tend to miss that, and, and that's all right. But honestly, I think people are kind of conditioned to expect, let's say, a full picture, like all mm. at once, you know? Yeah. And they want to be force-fed a broad overview of big topics. And in fairness, that's what you get with uh, magazine articles these days. Uh, there are only a couple fly fishing magazines left, and that's their specialty, and it's good. I, but they'll give you a, a feature article on winter fishing, you know, one article that's maybe 2,000 words long. And you also have most podcasts out there trying to do the same thing. And really, in my opinion, they're trying to cover too much with one pass. 
But I mean, I've talked to editors and hosts and I've been told that that's intentional because they mm-hmm. believe that fly anglers don't want to dig deep or don't want to be buried by the details. Um, but I'll say like the trout bitten model turns that notion on its head. We are here to bury you with the details. <laughs> <laughs> right on. If you want them, like we got them. <laughs> bury you, we will. That's right. That's sort of been, I don't know. That's sort of been what it's been about from the beginning. Like digging deep, getting into the details. You don't have to agree with everything and, and much of it you might not even find valuable. But I think the vast majority of trout bitten readers, listeners, viewers, of, you know, of the videos too, I, I think we all crave these kind of conversations, uh, whether it's listening to the podcast or it's a good technical talk with your fishing buddy at the bar. Like we love the details, the full picture. Give it to me. Yeah. That's how we think about fishing because it's, it's a big part of our life, right? But to wrap this up, I don't want to go on too long about that. If you're just finding trout bitten, then get ready. The information and the experience available there really runs deep. So explore the website, dig into these podcasts, and find the videos on YouTube. And always know that every episode or article has a lot of supporting content linked to it. So go find it. Yeah. I covered that all right, Austin. Yeah, that's actually a, a timely subject. I was listening to a, a homebrewing podcast today. Okay. And much like fly fishing for trout, you know, some of the stuff we discuss is very niche. And yeah. the questions are very niche. And and the homebrewing community is is very similar. There's mm. over, you know, very broad um, descriptive articles, but not a lot that goes into specific questions kind of everybody has. And yeah. this one host was saying, well, the goal here on this podcast for for this homebrewing podcast was to go um, to go deep and narrow rather than shallow and wide, Perfect. and you know to go deep into the subject and narrow into those details rather than try to encapsulate, you know, uh, maybe a broader topic all in one or uh, a general topic to to reach more readers or listeners. That's it. Now that's that wasn't their goal, but what they were saying is, you know, we do these very narrow topics, and maybe the the views of their listens aren't as high, but the comments and the conversations and the mm. engagement of those who listen to it is much higher. There you go. So I think we experience a lot of the same uh, type of feedback. For sure. And that's why I point out too, that there really are so many other resources that I link to. Um, in the last two podcasts, I had to have dropped at least eight or 10 links uh, into the companion article. Um, whatever. There's a ton of resources there for you. Again, go find them. None of this stands alone. That's it. That's what I've started saying about trout pitting for the last few years. There's a collected bank of uh, knowledge there. All the good ideas come from Austin. <laughs> hey, now, I'll take it. That's not true. All the bad ones come from Bill. <laughs> <laughs> All the dumb stuff comes from Trevor. That's right. He's not as smart as uh, he's made out to be. No. He's just a character. He's just right. playing a role. <laughs> That's right. Those degrees <laughs> don't mean anything. Just kidding, Went Trevor. to school for 12 years. Who cares? Who cares? What do you know about fish, Trevor Smith? Physicians. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do? Hey, so a couple minutes ago, I talked about regulating body heat, and I said, let's start there. So let's do it. Regulating body heat. It's like you can't just wear, so we're digging in now. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> like you can't just wear super warm layers. You can't get your biggest winter coat out, put it on, <laughs> and let's go fishing, right? Right. 
It makes me think of uh, what you just said there, the kid from Christmas Story. That's the movie, right? <laughs> he puts on the big coat. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Is it Ralphie? Move, he can't get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't be dressed up like Ralphie and uh, expect to be able to cast a fly rod and move around real good yeah. out there. Yeah, yeah. So we do move. Uh, we've talked about this already in, in episode one. We're going to talk about it more in the following episodes. We do move. We're trying to look for the next good opportunity of feeding fish. To find those fish, you can, you're not just going to stand in one spot. So we're moving lots of times, almost all the time. I'm starting the day with a hike. I'm generating that body heat. And then, I'm going to say it this way, we need to either release that heat, let it go because we're getting too hot, starting to sweat, or you want to hold it in. And man, yeah. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say this right off the bat. All of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight is stuff that took me two or three winter seasons of fishing almost every day to really have any kind of idea that I was understanding it, you know, sure. to sort of try to dial some stuff in, a lot of trial and error. Anyway, you got to hold that heat in or let it go. Yep. I think you mentioned on a previous winter fly fishing podcast we did, but how much we love zippers. Yeah. And zippers is one of the greatest ways to to remove heat or regulate mm-hmm. heat without having to um, constantly remove layers. Yeah, removing layers is an effective uh, tool, of course, too. But yeah, being able just to open up those kind of heat chambers and let that stuff out uh, yeah. is crucial. Yeah, if you do get overheated, you'll start to lose energy. I mm. mean, we know that. And if you do get overheated and you're starting to build up way too much sweat, then yep. I don't care how good your you know your moisture wicking layers are, you can start to get cold because you sweat too much. So we want to let that extra heat go. That takes some experience to kind of realize, like, oh boy. I'm getting too hot on this mile and a half walk in, you know, that's again, why you can't just wear the, the, you know, the biggest winter coat that you have, like fishing gear is different. It needs to be trim, let's say form fitting in a way, but, but also warm and not too warm. Uh, You want (laughs) to allow for that mobility, but also be able to release that excess heat. You said about zippers, talk about that here a little bit when we get real specific about uh, the different layers but i mean i love quarter zips yep, um right on me too you know they come down to your chest like let's say from middle of the neck to your chest heck i have one on right now right <laughs> you hear that zip zippy <laughs> <laughs> i love the quarter zip because i can keep the heat in or let it out like you said we can take off layers we all know that mom taught us that <laughs> but <laughs> and we can take them off but a lot of us won't do it we go ah, i'm not going to take the vest and the outer layer and then yeah. this insulating layer and then right. get this extra base layer off nah i'm not i'm just going to let it on but if you can just quarter zip it down you let a lot of heat out I, honestly our body is designed quite well you know to be able to release that heat if we want it or keep it in for these layers do you find that color makes any difference do you think about that Oh, yeah, absolutely. Black, man. Black's the Dude, best color okay. black. in the wintertime. Black. I mean, the worst is white. It, seriously, like, sure. uh, this is important to me. Anyway. Tell me more. I mean, dark colors absorb heat. We know that. And yep. it makes a big difference. It, it's absorbing the uh, the UV rays, right, from the sun. I mean, it's a really big difference. And I always kind of knew that. And then I learned it for sure when I was winter fishing at night. Um, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, I did that for two or three, for three years. I decided I was going to night fish every week of the year at least once. No matter the conditions, I would find a night to go out in the winter. So I was out there, you know, in the, te- you know, obviously your your lowest yeah. temperatures are at, at night. 
And I'm out there in the low teens. I can't remember ever being lower than 12 or 13 degrees, but my gosh, let's say 13 degrees is so much colder at night than it is during the day. And I'm telling you, I think it's because there's no sun. There's no light. Even when the sun's behind the clouds, your black outer layer, let's say, is still absorbing some heat, is still absorbing some of those sun's rays. I'm telling you, I think it makes a big difference. Um, And I have worn, oh, I don't know, like uh, cream. I don't know if I ever had totally white layers. (laughs) But I had an old cream raincoat that I used to wear. And it just, whatever, it wasn't as warm. Uh, The materials might be the same. But I'd say wear dark colors, that's all. Just wear dark colors, absorb the rays. Why not put that to your advantage too? That's cool. And uh, it's very interesting to hear you say you could notice a difference from mm-hmm. going to nighttime. I'd never, I never really considered that. Yeah, it could be the same temperature, the exact same temperature. You're going to feel much colder at night. And that has to be what it is. It's the light. It's good theory, Dominic. It's good theory. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> when Trevor joins us in uh, episode eight of this podcast we're gonna have a round table review and we'll ask him does that make any sense does it make sense i think it does whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire you can bet the trout bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us it's honestly our favorite beer this hazy ipa is smooth and full-bodied hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit broken heels is a keeper New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. Precision Fly and Tackle is a family-owned business with a passion for the outdoors and a sense of adventure. They are anglers who enjoy every moment spent on the water with family and friends. Precision Fly and Tackle carries the widest selection of Euro rods, reels, lines, leaders, flies, and accessories. From the beginner to the advanced angler, Precision Fly and Tackle can outfit every angler, no matter the budget. Visit them online at precisionflyandtackle.com. Then use code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your order. Gear up with Precision Fly and Tackle for your next adventure. Hey, so let's move into this. Let's uh, do head, shoulders, knees, and toes. You want to sing the song again? Nope. (laughs) 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 On the outro of season one, if anybody wants to hear, listen clear to the end. I goof around with the outros and I have... uh, Austin, singing us a stanza of head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I'm too Mm. good to you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's acknowledge that a lot of this is really personal choice. Right? I mean, again, I said this last podcast, I almost hate telling people, you got to wear this. We're not telling you you have to wear what we wear. We're not telling you that our opinions or the advice we're about to give is the best. It's what works for us. And it does work after a lot of trial and error. And um, Austin's fished a ton during, in the wintertime. So have I. That's where this advice comes from. So maybe it helps you. All right. With that said, what should we start with, Austin? Should we go top down or bottom up? Let's go top down. Start with the yeah. head. Because it's head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. What about the head? What All do you right. wear on, you know, on your, you still have hair. 
I still have hair. I'm hoping I, I still have hair for most of my life. Yeah. But anyhow. Well, Vern still has some hair, huh? Your dad? No. He doesn't? No. <laughs> None. He's been without hair since he's maybe 20 years old. That's like me. So I'm doing pretty well. Anyhow, <laughs> my first layer, I guess, is is my hair. You're right. But yeah. uh, usually if it's 30 degrees or less, I've got uh, a ball cap on first and then either an acrylic-based or a wool-based uh, beanie over top of the ball cap. If it's much warmer than that, generally I, I kind of just go with the, the regular ball cap. But I do like to keep that on. Um, it allows me to have, uh, you know, that sun deflection and kind of help ease up the glare, keep some of the glare off yeah. my, you know, polarized lenses and things like that. The advantages of having a brim uh, should still stick with you. At least I like them to stick with me. Yeah, I think that's a big deal all the time. And uh, same, I always want a brim. In the way. I don't care. If I'm fishing, I want that brim. I want that, uh, that bill. Yeah. And so I'm like you. Whatever. Um, I don't have hair. And uh, so I wear three hats. I wear a, a thin kind of runner's cap. Uh, it's real thin. It's a real thin fleece uh, cap, beanie, and it's very tight fitting. And then I'll put a ball cap over top of that. And a lot of times that's enough. I mean, 40 degrees, that's probably enough. Yeah. Uh, I might put my hood up, whatever. But then my kind of go-to is to put a wool cap over top of that. That For me, that used to be acrylic. This year's the first time I've really bought into wool. That's, again, because of our buddy, Dr. Wool, Dr. Trevor <laughs> Smith, who keeps uh, getting call-outs in this podcast. Yeah. But no, really, wool, I, I like it, and wool's a, a big deal for me. We'll talk about that, more about that in a minute. You mentioned acrylic. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between just polyester versus acrylic. I don't know. I'm not going to try to tell you the differences between those two fabrics. Yeah, me neither. Acrylic is warmer. material science. No, but acrylic is warmer. And I wore the same gray acrylic uh, Nike beanie for many, many years. And now this first light wool has taken it over. I don't know. Hey, here's yeah. the thing, though, with, with the hats. This is really where you can release a lot of that heat. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, as well. That's one of the easiest way. You know, my mom always told me that <laughs> right. we hold, what, like 90% of your heat in your head yeah. and your toes. It's probably not mm-hmm. true. But it is a really easy and convenient way to take off a layer that isn't bulky that can cool you down pretty quick if you yeah. are building up some building up some steam. For sure. If I am walking a mile and a half in, I might start out with all three of my hats, but probably by the time I get to that mile and a half marker <laughs> and I'm ready to fish, I've probably taken off maybe all of my hats by then or I'm down to just that that real thin one. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. It's easy. It's an easy way to regulate your body heat is with the hat. And yeah. on and off and whatever. You find a way to store the, the wool cap if you need to and put it back on. That's Anyway, don't get overheated. That's one of my key messages here is don't get overheated. That'll wear you out and you'll build up too much sweat and all that other stuff. It's not just about staying warm. It's staying not too warm. Yep. So let's move down from the head. Let's hit the neck then. Yeah. Um, do, you wear, do you wear the buff? Do you like the buff? Uh, yeah. I mean... I wear sometimes a fleece one, uh, sometimes a real thin one, the same one I'll wear during the summer. Just a little bit of fabric there makes a big difference, right? Yeah. Um, you got me onto the balaclava, right? That's how you say it? Balaclava. Balaclava? <laughs> I think so. We could debate that. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> that's a, you know, a big fleece hood that uh, 
that's another head layer too. I'll, I'll add yeah. on to that. Yeah. If it's really cold, like down into the teens and the wind's moving, I'll yeah. have that uh, balaclava, balaclava around my neck <laughs> and then also bring it up over top of my uh, outermost beanie mm. and cinch it all down tight. Right. Uh, but that thing, that thing is a, a lifesaver, man. That thing's nuts. I call it the Grim Reaper. Yeah, you do look like one, <laughs> right? I call it a grim, the grim reaper. Yeah, it's a big black. Well, it's not that big. It's form fitting enough. Has some excess material because it it serves as to cover your neck and your face and your head all at once. And yeah, of course, you could pull it down to different levels. There's yeah. a lot of material there holding in a lot of heat oh, and a yeah. very key spot in your body that I think is kind of overlooked. Your wrists, I think, are similar. You can lose yeah. a lot of heat in your wrists. Obviously, your neck. There's a lot of arteries exposed there same as your head yeah a lot of blood vessels exposed and you, you can lose a lot of heat if you're not careful yeah fills those gaps gets rid of areas that wind uh can get into we talked a little bit about uh zippers and, and quarter zips mm. around your neck yeah one thing that i've come to appreciate are quarter zips or jackets with a, a wider neck opening yeah. so that you can zip it all the way up below your chin and it not be strangling you underneath the other layers. Mm. Like you have that bulkly jacket. Yeah. And when you have your other layers on, you zip it all the way up. You, know, you still have some mobility there. Good point. Uh, I have found to be kind of limited in some of my choices that I've had to change out over time to, yeah. to give me more room. I think that's important too. It is. Yeah, it takes some time to or some experimentation to find those layers that'll work with each other. We're about to yeah. talk about all these different layer types. Before we move into that, though, let me mention one more thing. <laughs> I bought a, a wool gaiter because I've been wearing the gaiters or, or the buff, mm. whatever we're calling it, balaclava. Uh, the thing that goes around your neck and can go up over your face, uh, mm-hmm. o- over your mouth and nose too, right? Um, I bought a wool one. I don't like it at all. Wool holds water. We know that. And so it doesn't release that water. And it gets kind of soggy because I'm breathing into it, breathing in, breathing oh, wow. out. And all of a sudden, it gets pretty soggy. Now, that's if I'm building, well, if I'm breathing a lot. If I'm hardly moving at all, I found that wool gator to be okay. But in general, this is one area where I don't want wool. And I learned that, well, by experimentation, just in the last few months. I mean, I bought a good wool gator, neck gator, and uh, I don't like it. I mean, it releases, I'm going to say, it moves the moisture away from itself as, as good as it possibly can, but it's not good enough. So I'd rather huh. do something like fleece. Yeah, I thought you were going to say because it was itchy or something, but if you bought good wool, I'm sure it's not too itchy. Right, exactly. No, it's not. It's soft, but it just holds too much water. That's for me, but it yeah. might work for you, especially if you're not moving a whole lot, right? Or just pull it up over your face only when you know you're not going to be breathing, you know, heavy. That's the neck. There you go. We're moving down. Shoulders and, uh, well, your body, right? Your core. This might be the most important thing. Now we've said that about right hands. <laughs> we might. I think the feet are kind of the most important. But anyway, everything's the most important. You got to stay warm. So here's the thing. We're going to break this down to base layers, insulating layers, and outer layers. And nice. This is not the first time it's been talked about either. Like we're not. Nope. You know, <laughs> we're we're not giving you any real new information. Obviously, but the base layers. Uh, what's your favorite base layer right now, Austin? Um, my favorite base layers, generally how I set myself up is like a polyester t-shirt or long sleeve shirt against my skin. And then, um, maybe a secondary long sleeve polyester if that, and then I'll go to, um, a wool like quarter zip, as you're saying, 
and then I'll put on a, well, that's farther out than my base layer, but. Yeah. Um, so you might almost have three base layers. Yeah. Two or so, three. so what's against my skin, at least on, on the coldest of days, that's going to be yeah. relevant here is mm-hmm. usually a hundred uh, percent polyester uh, shirt against my core. And then mm-hmm. I'll do uh, a similar, like a spandex type of thing against my, like a long john on, mm-hmm. uh, on the lower extremities. And then uh, wool socks. <laughs> no, I got you. Uh, the base layer. Yeah, I am with you. I also wear a t-shirt underneath what now this season is my wool base layer. And I'm wearing this first light furnace, which is their hottest one. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, it's too warm a lot of times. Especially this winter. Seriously, it's kind of a mild winter right here. But anyway, whatever you're going to use for your base layer, the idea, I mean, this is different than when I grew up. Nobody was, I don't know if they weren't thinking about it or we were just too backwards to not understand it. (laughs) We were not thinking about, oh, get that moisture away from your body. But now it's an obvious thing for us. We're not wearing cotton next to our skin. Okay. Right. And, you know, whatever base layer is going to be moisture wicking, get the, you know, transfer whatever moisture that you do build up, sweat, away from your body. Like we know that. And we want to get it away from even the base layer and into the insulating layer where it can kind of disperse. And um, there are varying degrees of warmth. I said I'm wearing this first light furnace. They have other uh, base layers that are not not as thick. And I used to combine two base layers. I'd wear, well, the T-shirt and then really two base layers, like kind of what you just said. Yep, exactly. Now I'm like that real thin T-shirt which is moisture wicking, and then this this first light furnace, and it's yeah. it's warm enough, and that's my base layer. Again, though, I'm on the quarter zip. Here it is one more time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually wearing it right now. Why? Because I love it. I just want to wear it every day. It's going to be too hot in the summertime. You do wear it every day. I do. I wear it a lot. You know me. I yeah. get on at something. I know. It stays on. I mean, really, a lot of the base layers these days, they have like, what, silver ions or something built in that, that uh, help them not to stink and stuff like that. We won't get into yep, that. That's what they say. It's some pretty advanced stuff. Seriously. I mean, there's uh, things of technology's come a long way. Yeah. So before we move on from that real quick, okay. I, uh, like you said, it's not anything earth shattering that we're sharing that a, a base layer of moisture wicking stuff is good. When right. I was uh, more involved in backpacking, and I shared this on the previous podcast, um, we had this acronym that I was taught, uh, WISE, W-I-S-E, yeah. when you're packing for your trip. And the idea is the W stands for wicking, and it goes in, in order in which you dress. So your first layer is your wicking layer, which pulls the uh, moisture from your body. Yeah. The I is insulation. You know, you insulate on top of that wicking barrier. The S is your streamline, so that's kind of like a, a rain jacket or an outer layer yeah. that cuts through the wind. And then the E was your extremities, the things that you put on your toes and your hands mm, and your head. Right. Um, and that was sort of your mantra for uh, packing and planning ahead. So we'll we'll go through all of these, and that'll hit on that acronym. But yeah. if you're ever looking ahead to, to pack for the next day, just think through WISE, W-I-S-E. It's a good one. Yeah, that's kind of what we're running through here, and that's yeah. a good way to remember it. Absolutely. Your mom teach you that? No. That one was a uh, – I led backpacking trips for a time for Penn State, and uh, yeah. you had to go through some courses, and they taught me that. I like it. So let's move into the insulating layer. I mean, sometimes these can be your outer layer. We said it's been kind of a mild winter here. Yeah. If I'm in the 40s, I'm often not going to need that outer layer, and yep. my insulating layer becomes my outer layer. Fair enough. You do what it takes to, 
to stay warm. Like we said, this doesn't have to be all complicated and you find what works for you. Yeah. So the insulating layer, the, the idea is you pull that moisture away from your body with the base layer and okay, but we need something to hold some, I mean, insulation comes from holding heat, right? And that's yep. what down does because there's air trapped in between those feathers, right? Got it. And we understand what these poly blends do, this, the nano puff stuff does. And there's different grams of insulation, like 90 gram and 60 gram. Yep. All of that insulation, these insulating layers are designed to hold the heat that you generated to keep it in, to keep it from escaping. That's all it really is, is heat trapped within air. And there's a lot of yep. different ways to keep it in. And those insulating layers, you know, going right on top of our base layers. Yeah. We want to maintain some of that flexibility and, um, you know, articulation of mm. moving the, the, right. uh, our legs and our arms and things. So they shouldn't be too bulky. They should be fairly form-fitting and, and be able to, to have some movement built into them. So by the time we get those outer layers on and things, yeah. we're, not, we're not looking like Ralphie and, and stuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. The insulating layer, if it is form-fitting, that's so much better than when you're trying to put it under the outer layer. Tactical Fly Fisher was founded by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson to bring anglers cutting-edge gear and techniques from the international competitive fly fishing scene. Tactical Fly Fisher's aim is to help you improve your angling ability so you can have more fun on the water. Whether you need some flies, fly tying equipment, or a new rod or reel, they've got you covered. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TBPOD10, that's T-B-P-O-D-1-0 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. For 2023, check out the all-new patented tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use, keeping your tippet spools right where you need them. Also, the brand new Rod Clip Plus comes with an improved 304 steel pin, plus a carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. So let's move to the outer layer, mm -hmm. and I call it a shell. And I say that shell uh, should kind of break the wind and hopefully, you know, keep you, keep you waterproof or be very water resistant. Be windproof or be really wind resistant. Yeah. So it breaks that's those two deal. elements. It is, I think so. Um, especially in the wintertime, you know, that's what we're talking about. Um, it just seals out those two elements. And a good shell is going to do that for you. Now, the shell doesn't have to provide any insulation. You already have that covered. Your base layer is providing some insulation, maybe. And boy, that insulating layer, like we just talked about, surely is. I think the shell is is underrated. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. people only bring the shell out when it's going to be a windy day where mm -hmm. they think there's going to be some precipitation. But right. I wear that outer shell regardless of yes. what I'm expecting for the day because of those benefits. Yep. It really does kind of lend that last line of defense or first line of defense for keeping heat in by allowing the, the cold to stay out, uh, essentially is what I'm trying to say. That's it. Um, don't, don't underestimate the power of the shell. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Sims and Orvis and Squala now, they're all making what they call wading jackets. I think that's, that's a great name. Mm. It's not just yeah. a raincoat anymore. It's a wading jacket. And honestly, I'm always kind of sad when it gets, I'm going to say 55 or 60 degrees and above, I no longer can wear that wading jacket because then I'm going to get too warm. Again, it doesn't, <laughs> it's just a shell. It doesn't have any insulation, but boy, it, it really just holds everything in. And it keeps all the bad stuff, all the all the wet and the wind, it keeps it out. The waiting jacket's a good name. Like you say, it seals out those elements. I'm going to mention too, like the cuffs and then the hood. These are important elements in your outer layer. Because if you even have a little bit of wind coming up beyond your cuff and coming up yeah. onto your arm, or if you can't seal out that wind and a little bit of spitting rain or snow or whatever it is at your neck, or maybe over your head. If you can't seal it out, it'll make you cold. Keep it out, and you'll be a lot warmer. It's a big deal. The other nice thing about the shell is it, it does uh, allow some room for pockets. Mm-hmm. We talked about in the previous episode of keeping your hands warm. It's a place to keep hand warmers, easy access. Yeah. Again, they're, they're usually uh, waterproof, so they kind of keep the moisture out of there, keeps mm-hmm. things warm, uh, good refuge. Yeah, yeah. In the wading jackets that I'm talking about, I mean— some of these jackets are, have a little bit of insulation in them too, but whatever, the, the pockets are there. And if the jacket doesn't have a lot of insulation, I'll put rags in the pockets just to hold in the heat hmm. that I have in those hand warmers. Even if I don't have hand warmers that day, just having those pockets to put your hands in, maybe yeah. dry them up a little bit up against those uh, rags. That's a big deal to me. I either do that or if I'm just wearing the insulating layer, for example, and I don't have the outer layer, then I want that pocket built into the uh, the waders themselves. Yep, me too. Me too. You got to have somewhere to put your hands, you know? Especially you when you're guiding. Yeah, that's right. You just stand there with your hands in your pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good point. Got to be comfortable. So let's talk about hoods then on the outer layer of the shell. Um, how important is a good hood or, you know, a system for a hood? Many jackets are built differently to to do do different things. What are you looking for in a hood? Yeah, it's not just the shells either, of course, that have hoods, but like Mm -hmm. a lot of base layers these days will have a hood. And then obviously your insulating layer can have a hood. And they'll say, hey, here's a jacket that can function as an outer layer or one of your insulating layers. And here we put a hood on it. Well, okay, but I don't want three hoods to deal with, for example. (laughs) Yeah. Hoods are great for obvious reasons for regulating that heat. Hey, put the hood up, keep the heat in, put the hood down, let the heat out. But they're not great for, it it can get really bulky. Again, I don't want three hoods and it can be kind of a mess back there. Yeah. Have you ever worn three hoods at once? Yeah, but maybe one time and then I never did it again. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's just a, there's a better way to do things. Yeah, I like being able to control my hood quantity. So, right. and so when I buy a jacket, like let's say I'm looking at an insulated jacket for yeah. an outer layer, not a shell. Yeah. I often don't look for one with a hood because mm-hmm. I am going to either wear a hat that mm-hmm. I will control or I will wear an outer shell that is going to have a hood on it. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not looking for my winter jackets to have hoods built in, or if they do, I want to be able to remove them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of a downside for me because you end up stacking them. Yeah. I was exactly like you and I used to wear that Grim Reaper for that hood if I really uh, wanted yeah. it. 
In the last couple of years, I've moved away from the, I hardly ever wear that Grim Reaper anymore. I have other balaclava solutions and the hats, okay. And then I have a hood on my outer shell. Whatever, there's so many different ways to do it. But yeah, think it through, right? All right, so that's hoods. Those are the, the pros and the cons of a good hood. Right. Let's go talk about the, the legs. <laughs> what are we doing there? That's what keeps you moving. It's true. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you got your base layer and your insulating layer again. Your outer shell, obviously, is your waders. How much does that matter? How much do you... So there's there's a debate here, or maybe not a debate, but two schools of thought between yeah. uh, a boot foot wader versus a regular um, neoprene booty foot. and yeah. yeah, stocking foot wader. You know, I hear some people's opinions say that the, the boot foot wader is significant difference in terms of warmth and, um, you know, comfort versus a stocking foot. Do you have any opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to argue the fact that a boot foot wader can keep you warmer. First of all, they can build insulation into that boot foot, you know, 200 gram insulation or something. And then you can get more layers quite often underneath there, um, depending on your sizing and whatnot. But the downside of boot foot waders is you're not going to hike in them. You're not hiking that mile and a half in. Yep. It's like a real loose fit. It doesn't have yeah. to be loose, but it just isn't as form-fitting as stocking foot waders. That's why everybody loves stocking foot waders, you know, with separate wading boots. When's the last time you wore boot foot waders, man? It's probably been seven years or more. Okay. I haven't worn them since they've maybe come with newer technology. Right. Like what you just said about not hiking in, that was the biggest downfall for me yeah. because usually – and they may fit different now, but where yep. the boot would meet the wader, there'd be yeah. a crease there. And right. every time I take a step, that crease would wear into the back of my leg. And over mm-hmm. the length of the day, it just would wear me down. It hurt. Yeah. For me, it's not that point, but I know what you're talking about. Uh, it's the fact that, well, there's no shoelaces. Okay. So there's no boot laces. So you can't get them tight around the upper yeah. part of the top of your foot and then around your ankle. And for me, there's too much slop in there. And yeah, I could put a bunch of socks, but there is still a little too much slop and wiggle room. Good for putting layers into, bad for walking a long way. Right. <laughs> and so for us, what we've already said, we like to move a lot. And I think I'm with you. It's not a choice for me. I was going to yeah. say it's not my first choice. It's not any choice for me. I'm not wearing boot foot waders, but I have other ways to keep my legs and my feet warm. Yeah, and the other thing is, and we could be done with the boot foot thing, but if your boot wears out, Mm, what do you do then? Right. I had a company send me about three years ago a pair of uh, boot foot waders, and I wore them. Yeah. Like you said, the technology has, you know, come a ways. And uh, they were nice, but the same problem was still there. And I think the companies acknowledge that too. They're building them, you know, for people who are not planning on walking a, a long way. That's fair. I guess we should touch on neoprene too, because we will get comments on that if we don't. Right. So. Right. Back to the waders, you know, in general. And I'm I'm still on breathable waders in the wintertime uh, mm-hmm. because I can put all these layers, which we're going to talk about here in a second. I can put as many layers as I want underneath them. That's how yeah. I'm going to stay warm. A friend of mine, Amanda, uh, texted me the other day, like, how do you stay warm in the winter like that? Like that, I don't know how you fish in the wintertime. <laughs> you must be so cold in that cold water. I'm like, no, you just wear enough layers. Yeah. Anyway, I'm still on my regular breathable waders. I've worn neoprene. Ah, oh, boy, it was a long time ago, though. Mm-hmm. And neoprene can keep you warm. We understand that. There's there's trapped air within that neoprene. Um, but, boy, they don't breathe. Nobody's no. going to tell you they have a breathable neoprene. They don't. 
Yeah. Um, so if you're moving too much, man, you're not releasing that heat. Yeah, so that's good. Like you, I don't rely on on the material of the waiter itself to be an insulating mm. layer or anything right. to keep me warm. Instead, of, I'm, I'm focusing on my base layers. Generally, what I'm wearing is a 100% uh, poly material yeah. that, um, you know, it's got a spandex kind of quality to it, and it fits tightly against uh, the skin. On occasion, I'll, I'll wear two of those. I have a, a thicker version that's got some uh, fleece built into it, but also is sort of a, another base layer I consider yeah. And that's that's what's against me immediately. Yeah. And then the insulating layer. Yeah. It's pretty similar to the core. Really, it's the same thing for me. I have this first light furnace base layer on the bottom, and then I put fleece pants on top for my insulating layer. And of course, again, the waiter acts as the shell. Um, often you don't need as much on your legs as you might think hmm. because the water is warmer than the air. If you're fishing in, on a 15-degree day, well, we acknowledge like the water's not 15 degrees or else it'd be an ice cube. The water <laughs> often is 35, 36, 42 degrees. That is a good point. I just find I don't need as many layers on my legs as you might think you do. All right. So let's move down the feet then. Yeah. Um, got 100% wool socks on mm-hmm. and I've got those in varying thicknesses as well. I have a, a very thin pair I'll wear as a base layer on my feet. And then I'll, I'll wear a slightly thicker pair over top of those to fit into a slightly larger boot in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I'm with using wool socks to stay warm. I wear two or three pairs of wool socks in the wintertime. Now, those aren't going to fit in my regular boots. I normally wear a size 10 boot. In the winter, I call them my winter boots. They're size 11s. So I can fit three pair of wool socks inside those boots if I need and yeah. honestly, this winter, I haven't needed three pair. Two pair of wool socks has been enough. The second pair is pretty thick, by the way. Uh, another thing that kind of matters, I think, uh, I put a foam insole in that size 11 boot if I'm only mm. wearing two pair of those wool socks. If I plan on wearing three pair of wool socks, I pull that foam uh, that foam insole out. Really? And yeah, that foam insole is wet, and that doesn't matter. It's okay. <laughs> but... You know what I mean? Your size and your To fill boot. the space, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Do you think you could buy, hmm, I guess you couldn't buy one uh, size larger boot and use it all year long with an insert like you're describing? No, I'm with you. You think you I, could do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you tried. could. Yeah. And years ago, I tried to do that for a full season. I had the mm-hmm. size 11s and the 10s had worn out, and I'm like, God, right. I'm not going to spend the money and buy the 10s. <laughs> the problem for me, though was that around the ankle, I couldn't get it tight enough. I couldn't lace them tight enough. Yeah. The rest of the boot didn't fit well enough. Um, but you could get away with it. You, you figure it out. And yeah, right. you can do a lot with an insole. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, my mom, if I, if I needed like a size six <laughs> shoe, my mom was always like, well, get a seven because you'll grow into it. <laughs> so I got, I got used to wearing shoes and boots that were a little big. And you put insoles in there. That was the thing. We always... We wore insoles. Yeah, that's a good trick. Before we get out of feet, I just want to mention that, uh, like Grobe, for example, I think Bill's wearing them too, these alpaca socks. Yes. Yeah, they're all about them. I haven't, I haven't gotten a uh, pair yet. But if we don't mention them, those guys would be mad at us. I've not, I've not tried a pair either. I think uh, Trevor is also on the program, and uh, <laughs> they, they do say good things. So I guess we ought to try. A little warmer. For the same thickness. We'll see. It's a type of wool. Is it still considered wool? I have no idea. I think it's called alpaca wool. It's probably the density or something. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, so we got to mention this to boot soles. Yeah. I think all of us here, what, we wear studded rubber uh, soles, studs in rubber. I mean, I got away from felt soles when I started winter fishing. <laughs> if you've ever had felt in snow, uh, you, you get stilts, <laughs> you get snowballs on the bottom of your feet. It's just impossible. Yeah. You also have really poor traction with just, you know, flat felt as opposed to some kind of rubber lug, uh, especially if you put studs in there. Studs grip into the ice uh, when you encounter that. Yeah, good point. No felt in the winter. It's terrible. All right, so we've done head, shoulders, knees, and toes. We got clear down to your toes. We did the feet. Make sure you get a size bigger on the boots. You know size what? 13 boot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I have to mention one more thing, though, about the boots. They can't be too tight. Don't just wear those size 10s and then try mm, to jam point. three socks in there. You can't do it. You're going to hurt yourself more than help yourself. Yep. If you feel anything more than slightly snug, I'm going to say, I don't know. I think it's, uh, uh, what's that called? Flow. Uh, starts with a C. <laughs> what do you want to know? Uh, blood flow. <laughs> Circulation. Anyway. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Start to the C. Anyway, I think it's a circulation issue, you know, when you're, you know, constricting the blood flow too much because your boots are too tight because you try to jam too many socks in there. More harm than good, man. Yep. I've been there. Yeah. So that's head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And now a couple tricks, right? We talked about hand warmers with the hands podcast last week. And mm-hmm. your trick, Austin, for putting the hand warmer in the breast pocket of your yeah. coat or inner layer. Yep. That's awesome. They're like right over your heart, you say. And that makes all the sense in the world because that's where the blood's going in and out of. That's smart. Yeah. It feels really good. Yep. Like a lot of this stuff crosses over into hunting as well. So a lot yep. of hunting is is hiking in somewhere either in the evening or early in the morning, often in cold conditions, and then sitting still for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of talked about how we, if we walk in a mile and a half hike, when I'm doing that for hunting or fishing, sometimes I don't have my outermost layers on. Right I'll on. carry them in or attach them to the back of my pack and let all that moisture, let all that, all that stuff evaporate. Once I get into position, then I'll kind of layer up. Yeah. But especially if you're not moving around a lot, those hand warmers right over, no matter what, but especially if you're kind of not as active, those hand warmers against the heart is uh, is a great thing. It's just different. I mean, like we said, I didn't grow up with those hand warmers being an option. It was uh, like a Zippo warmer. Remember the yes. fuel warmers? Yes, and I have some of those. Right? Yep. They were a mess. And uh, My, what a strange uh, thing. Here, put this fire inside your pocket. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> there are these metal canisters, right, with the uh, the cartridges you'd put in there. Yeah. Um, my dad used to use them as a kid when he would uh, go sure. hunting, and he gave them to me. And, I don't know, they're kind of a novelty. They're they're, they're cool to look at, but they're not nearly the, the convenience of a, a simple hand warmer that we right. have today. I mean, now they're a novelty, but back then, I mean, right. that was the thing to do. And That's that was I mean. their best option. Yep. And so we use these hand warmers, you know, obviously we talked about putting them under the wrist, you put them in your breast pocket. That's cool. My dad puts them at the small of his back, for example. I think I talked on the yeah. other podcast. My dad has, he'll put them up, up at his shoulder blades and at, at the base of his neck and things like that. And those all work, whatever it takes, you know. And then of course you have toe warmers. They're designed to function in lower oxygen. So they don't need as much oxygen, you know, to build that same kind of heat. Yeah. The the trouble with the toe warmers for me is, well, they get too warm. And then I'm walking far and, oh, I got too much heat down there. And now I'm sweating. And eh, okay. They might be part of your system. Sometimes they're part of my system. 
But you know what's beyond the hand warmers? I have a feeling I know where you're going. Right? Have you? Do you, <laughs> you don't have one yet, like an electric vest, or do you have electric foot warmers? I do not have any electric-powered warmth on me. Me neither, not yet. It's becoming more and more accessible, though, oh, yeah. to the public, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So it's only a matter of time before I put some batteries on my person. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> some batteries. <laughs> oh, I've guided, I'm going to say, at least 20 people who were employing, you know, either a, usually it was an electric vest, but I had probably really? at least a half, yeah, at least a half okay. a dozen guys, though, too, that also had the, the foot warmers. And like yeah. I've looked into them. One guy said, oh, I spent $200 for these uh, socks. I shouldn't say foot warmers. They're socks. They're electric yeah. socks. And man, what electric socks used to be. It was like a D-cell battery. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not that anymore, man. You know, you've looked into this. Some of them have a remote control or even Bluetooth that hooks up to your phone. And, yeah. you, you know, you can dial in zones, not just for the socks, but for the vest. and heat levels and zones for the socks and for the vest with your phone. I mean, that's great stuff. And I looked into it, oh, sometime last week, almost in preparation for this podcast, because again, I don't have any of this. I don't feel like I need them yet. No. But I looked into them. I mean, it looks like you can get some pretty good socks, well-reviewed socks on different websites for, I don't know, 50, 60, 75 bucks. Right. The most expensive pair are like $250 or $300 for a pair of socks. <laughs> and I don't know if I could bring myself to try that. Right. But man, I could, I could buy a $70 pair of socks that was going to keep my feet warm. See, to me, I have this. And, and if you need it, that's great. Like you said, maybe we don't need it yet. But I have this thing inside me that kind of says, mm. like, eh, it's, it's not cheating, but it's, you're you're cheating the system a little bit. And you, ah. I'm sure when hand warmers came out, the same thing was said. Yeah. But I feel like once I submit to electric-powered warmth, I'm done. <laughs> like, it's not a challenge. And this is me er- er- ignorantly saying it without trying it. But, you know, the, the challenge is sort of met, and, I, and it's not difficult anymore. And I, I don't like that idea. Hmm. That's fair. You're an elitist. Yeah, I like living life difficultly <laughs> or whatever. It is different, man. It's like the, uh, well, the, the battery is going to generate the heat instead of you generating it yourself. Yeah, I don't know what, I don't know what my problem is with it, but I have resistance. You fish bamboo rods and cat gut leaders? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I draw arbitrary lines. That's right. We all do. Life. <laughs> I hear that. I'll tell you the truth. I'm serious. I'm going to buy a pair of those socks. If not this season, then definitely next season. I'm just curious more than anything. Yeah, and that's a good I, enough reason to try. Yeah, and I would assume that you could make that size 10 boot work all, all season. Well, for me, in that size. Yeah. Uh, Pat, our buddy Pat, uh, we were out walking the dogs oh, a year ago maybe. And, you know, We got out of the car, and it's like 20 degrees or something. And I said, man, you could be warm enough. Because he just had a sweatshirt on. He's like, oh, yeah. And he lifted his sweatshirt up and he showed one of those vests. I said, oh, tell me about that. That was one of my first uh, experiences, really being able to, like, tell me all about it. You know, Pat, yeah. you know, he likes the details too. So, yeah, he's like, oh, it's amazing. I don't think that one hooked up to his phone, but he could control the heat in the different zones and stuff. He's like, yeah, that's all you need. It's like a sweatshirt yeah. over top of it. Hold in a little bit of heat. I guess the batteries run pretty long these days too. And that the would batteries, be my main concern. Well, yeah. 
there's like 10 hours battery life and that's like on the highest settings you know for okay. some of these more expensive ones and the other thing is that the batteries are not big they're not like d cell size they're just not big anymore they're like half the not even half the size of your your phone you know what i mean yeah and pretty reasonable yeah and if you're going to be reliant on batteries that they have to be at least that performance and that size i think if you're going to carry them around all day and, and plan to fish a full day yeah, they have to stand up to those uh, requirements. Yeah, I think that's why they are getting more popular. Yeah. Hey, anything else, Austin? What did we miss? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on the the outer layers again, or at least the ability to remove layers. Okay. Depending on what style of system you have for carrying your gear, whether it be a sling pack or a vest or a hip pack, the harder it is for you to take off layers and store them somewhere throughout the day. Yeah the more resistant you're going to be to, to doing that. Uh, that's one of the reasons I like to wear a vest, especially is because I have a big zippered pocket in the back of the vest. Yeah, it's like a little and backpack. when I'm walking in or if it, the sun comes up and it gets warmer than I thought it would be, I can take off that outermost layer and tuck it in behind my vest and not have to carry it around or stuff it inside my waders or do something funny with it. Right. So think ahead uh, for carrying systems that way. I think that does uh, go a long way. No, I'm with you. I've always liked a vest because you do have that storage in the back. There's not too many other packs and storage solutions that, you know, have that. All right. So last thing, as promised, we got a we have story time. You have anything, Austin? <laughs> I was reminiscing on this story yesterday, actually. And it was back in 2016, I think, after mm -hmm. winter break, uh, coming back to school for spring semester. And you and I were down in Bar Blue. Saturday night, and I was yeah. trying to decide where I was going to go fish the next morning before school started. I wanted to get out, uh, you know, find some solace, and it had been pretty cold, and we kind of discussed over a few options, and I felt pretty good about it, and you did too. So, you know, I woke up before light the next morning and, and got out there and kind of one of our bigger rivers and found the place to be covered in shelf ice, as we've oh, yeah. described previously, yeah. and to have one single lane cut down the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And this was a scenario where I battled. Uh, it wasn't even windy. It wasn't that harsh of cold. It was just that the, uh, you know, the conditions were so cold for so long mm -hmm. that the river had succumbed to, you know, the environment. So I've spent the good half of a day making three casts, <laughs> um, taking the flies back yeah. out of the water. Yeah. You know, my egg was a sphere of ice. Yes. And the only way to melt them, I'd put them in my mouth and just suck on them <laughs> until they'd melt. And then I'd run the tippet down the inside of my mouth also to get all the beads of ice off of it. I'd make three more casts. It would freeze up. I'd do the same thing over and over again. I didn't touch a fish. No. Yeah. But I thought, well, what do I do now? I have nowhere else better to be. Yeah. Um, the fishing thing's not really working. So I made a fire. <laughs> <laughs> I sat along the banks of the stream, enjoyed the rest of the day, and then went home and uh, thought about what great advice you gave me the night before. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dom. <laughs> yeah. You know, it might have been the same place that you're talking about. I drove in. It's like 13 miles back off of the main mm -hmm. road. Uh, that is worth mentioning. Right. It had been cold. And I just had, I was kind of early on in the winter game and I hadn't thought about what it could be. And I got there and kind of like you said, everything was just almost frozen all the way across. It was very unusual. I'd never seen it before on that river. Yeah. But I thought, hmm. 
And it, this was early on with a cell phone. I had a cell phone with a camera. I was like, I'm going to take some pictures. So I just walked. <laughs> I tried fishing. Like you said, I was getting a sphere of, of, of ice around my, yeah. my fly. And it, it makes no sense. You're not really fishing. So I, I stopped fishing and I just started walking around. I had my dog, my border collie Dylan with me. And I must have walked a mile. Hmm. There wasn't a ton of snow, six, six to eight inches. And there were, you know, there's some deer trails. I walked a long time just enjoying it, I guess. Yeah. And I was just enjoying yeah. being, a, I was the only one out there for sure. Right. And I always remember that. And it was pretty windy. I just knew I was the only one out there. I was that far away from everyone else. And that feeling itself was worth it. And then I will say, I round, kind of rounded a bend, got up, and there was a section of water that was just more open than the rest. About half of it was open from the right side on kind of an inside bend. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't understand necessarily why. I didn't think about it much. I just thought, oh, there's some open water. I could actually fish that. I caught one fish out of there, and um, that was kind of the climax of my day. <laughs> and that was the furthest upstream that I walked. And I was really yeah. satisfied with that, with that one fish. And I caught it on an egg pattern, which we're probably going to talk about next week with nymphing. Um, that was it. I now understand. I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's a spring coming out of the right side. And that's, that's what cool. sort of kept that piece of water clear. There were probably yeah. many more fish there to be right. had. Right. But I was just like, oh, I caught one fish. That's cool. I'm going to turn around and walk back because I was pretty <laughs> far up in there. Just a great memory, man. And again, with just me and my dog. Yeah. If you have fresh snow and you see that your tracks are the only ones going in, you just know nobody else is out there. That's pretty yeah. special. If you could find that, it doesn't even matter if you catch a fish. That is special and great point. Yeah, right on. So next week, we're going to get into nymphing. We're going to start with really, uh, we said before, kind of our baseline approach. You know, the, if you really want to catch fish in the wintertime, I think having a nymphing game, it's a good place to start. And we fish streamers and we fish dries too. But next week, we're going to dig in to uh, how we like to throw nymphs in the wintertime, right? Yep, sounds good to me, man. All right, buddy, you want to read us out? I do. All right, so remember, the Tropitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Tropitten website hosts over 900 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Tropitten YouTube channel, currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series in collaboration with Wilds Media. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because it really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water. Here, put this fire inside your pocket. I like to do that. That's smart. How much we love zippers. <laughs> Zippy? Yeah. Give it to me. Yeah. You're going down. Yeah. I got cocky again all of a sudden. That's it. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> hey, now, I'll take it. All the dumb stuff comes from Trevor. We went to school for 12 years. Who cares? That is a good point. <laughs>